Today on Ag News Daily. You know, not the free trade, it's not fair, but it's free. But for us to go the other way with Durham, there's a tariff in place, and generally, any wheat product is marked as feed. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday to all of our listeners, or happy weekend day, whenever you're choosing to listen to the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am Mike Pearson, joined by co-hosts, including Hannah Pagel. Ms. Hannah, how you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Mike, and yourself? Can't complain one bit. And, of course, we've got Delaney Howell with us as well. Delaney, how are you? I'm pretty good, Mike. That is good news, I'm guessing, since you're all doing fairly well. Neither of you ate at Chipotle in the last few days. No, I'm not a big Chipotle fan myself. I'm afraid I will get sick if I eat there. Hannah, are you a Chipotle eater? Um, You know, I'm really not a big Chipotle or Ponch fan. I just prefer to have just go to an actual Mexican restaurant. But I did have Mexican last night, but not Chipotle. Perfect. Good thing it wasn't Chipotle because first piece of news here to kick off the weekend. More than 100 people have gotten sick after eating at Chipotle in Ohio. Again, they found that a bunch of the food ingredients weren't being stored properly and they don't quite know what the pathogen was that got these people sick, but they all came out of Chipotle. Um, isn't, didn't Chipotle just get a new CEO or somebody at the top of the food chain? Yes. Did a got a new CEO went through a whole you know retraining process. We're going to make sure our people understand that it's good to wash your hands after using the can. But I guess it didn't take. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't sound like it at all. Yeah, so that's uh, that's one piece of news there, folks. Avoid Chipotle, I suppose, from now until forever, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Delaney, do you have any news for us today? Yeah, I wanted to do a quick update on the ELD extension. Um, I was reading some news today. And it hasn't been 100% passed yet. It has the, the Senate has passed its version for a one-year extension, but the House still has to vote on that. So we don't, we are not in the clear yet, but it looks like the House is anticipated to pass that as well. Okay. Yeah, it seems like they'd be they'd be just as on board as the Senate with uh, right. making that possible. Well, that's good news there for our truck driving friends. And what about you, Hannah? What's jumping out at you here to kick off the weekend? So I want to just talk right away about tariffs. So. China is pushing back with more tariffs on the U.S. Uh, Beijing plans to impose, uh, it seems like, a wide variety of different percentages on different types of products, but it looks like they're going to impose an additional 5% in tariffs on about 600 kinds of products like planes and computers, and then another 10% on almost 1,000 types of different products, including like textiles and wigs. Uh, an extra 20% on more than a 1,000 items, which include chemicals, cookers, and paper. And then lastly, an additional 25% on over 2,400 products such as meat, wheat, looks like more of the commodity uh, products there. But it's all essentially because earlier this week when President Donald Trump wanted to up the percentage on tariffs on China to kind of bring them back to the negotiation table, it looked like it really didn't work for us because China's just like, if you're going to do that, well, we'll just push this out on you, too. So that tit-for-tat trade war continues on, Mike and Delaney. It does. Yeah. Go ahead, Delaney. I was going to say, I was reading an article about some of the other products that it's going to affect, and it looks like one of the industries that also, I don't think you mentioned it there, Hannah, that it's really going to affect um, is the U.S. crude oil market Yes. because they will – 
I think it's we're an approximately $12 billion industry that we send to China each year. And that is also included in the uh, list of products or, or goods that China could impose taxes on or tariffs on, excuse me. Um, other products I saw, I thought this was kind of funny. Um, are you ready for this list I have? I've got yes. semiconductors, helicopters, aircraft, as you mentioned there, Hannah, condoms. Oh. <laughs> um, coffee, sugar, chocolate, other foods like that. But apparently the U.S. is also the fourth largest supplier of chocolate to China or was the fourth largest in 2017. You know, Delaney, it's interesting you mentioned condoms. China for a long time had a one-child right. policy, mm-hmm. and that led to some gender imbalances. There's more dudes than ladies in China today. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is kind of a two birds, one stone. We'll raise the price of condoms. We'll have some more kids in China and uh, stick it to the Americans. Maybe that's what they're doing. I don't think they need any more kids. they got a pretty big population already. Well, that's true, but they are aging. And I do have kind of uh, breaking news here. They not just are going to put tariffs on American oil. Uh, Unipac, which is basically an arm of Sinopec, which is China's key crude oil buying company, has said that they are suspending crude oil imports from the United States, period. They're just not going to buy any crude oil from the U.S. at all going forward. They're not buying any? Sinopec isn't. Oh, the largest oh, oh, oh. importer into China. Well, that's okay. still a big deal. Yes, it is. They uh, expected to be buying about 300,000 barrels of oil per day, and uh, they're not going to be doing that. Hmm. Wow. I wonder how that's going to affect today's crude oil prices. Well, crude oil prices, you're probably not surprised to learn we're down today. Yeah, not surprised. Nope. Let's see. I've got something interesting here coming out of Germany. We don't get a chance to talk European agriculture all that often, but this is from German poultry farmers. You know, we talked with Angie on Monday about the drought affecting wheat country over there in Europe. Of course, that has raised the price of wheat, which is one of the key feed grains for the German poultry industry. And so German poultry farmers have gotten together and they have said that they want to see Food retailers and consumers spend more to buy their chickens. And they say consumers should be willing to pay more for poultry. The food retailer sector needs to increase their purchase prices. However, um, you know, I assume we're all kind of familiar with Aldi, the grocery store Mm -hmm, chain, mm -hmm. kind of discount groceries. That's the type of operation that runs German supermarkets. They traditionally offer very low prices and they have strong purchasing power and they're not willing to raise prices. So it looks like it's just going to be a tough year for German chicken farmers. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. How did, not, how did you ever find something, something like that? Yeah, I know. Seriously. You always find interesting pieces of news, Mike. Absolutely. The world is a fascinating place, Delaney. <laughs> it certainly is. I want to take it back to China for just a second here. Um, so as we're talking about tariffs and whatnot, I should have mentioned this earlier, but you kind of jumped in before I could, Mike. The average pig business in China, as we know, that's a big industry over there, the hog production industry. Uh, they did a study showing that the average pig farmer in China is facing an increase of about $5.30 per hog uh, production cost-wise because of the tariff that went into effect earlier this month on U.S. soybeans. Oh, okay. So if they bought U.S. beans, it's going to cost them more? No, 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 no. The average pig farmer's cost of production 
is facing an increase of $5.30 per hog because of the tariffs that we have on U.S. soybeans, because of the tariffs that uh, they put on U.S. soybeans. Well, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because China has been buying beans out of Brazil at roughly the same price they were buying them from the U.S. before the tariff. Yeah, I don't know. That's what huh. uh, this article says. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, actually, let me jump in here real, real quick, and I'll be quick about it. While we're talking Chinese hogs, there was a report confirmed that China has the first confirmed case of African swine fever. This is a disease we talked about at the World Pork Expo. It had been spreading from uh, the former Soviet Union states westward into Europe, and now somehow it has managed to jump all the way across China, and it was found in the northeast corner of China in a hog herd, and they've already had to kill about a 1,000 hogs, and they're hoping now to test all the rest of them in that area and see if they caught and have quarantined the whole virus. So, Mm -hmm. interesting. Something to keep an eye on there. And, Mike, I'm not familiar with the African swine fever, so what... What detrimental effects does it have on the hog industry? It kills the hogs. It is a it's a hemorrhagic virus. So basically it causes it sounds to me like it causes open sores to develop and then the the animals bleed out either externally or internally. The good news is it cannot be carried or passed on to people. So we're not affected by it at all. The bad news is it is carried by a tick that latches on to wild hog populations and that's how it spreads. So these wild hogs wander all over the place. The ticks fall off. They go and bite a, you know, a healthy hog. And then all of a sudden now the disease is spreading. And uh, so that's the concern there. It is a catastrophic disease if it hits, you know, your hog herd. Gotcha. Thank you. For yeah. That. So, Hannah, what about you? What other news do you have for us today? Well, I saw a report by the USDA that farmland values have hit a new high. So, Average farmland values nationwide have increased about 1.9%, so essentially 2%, to around $3,140 an acre so far this year from 2017. It looks like the gains signal that investors are focusing on farmland as a long-term investment and may consider the trade tensions that are going on currently to be short-term. So they're still looking at investing in the farmland, but it looks like Missouri saw the largest gain in values, which includes farmland, cropland, and buildings on agricultural properties. The figure rose 10% to $3,700 an acre, but the Corn Belt region in general has seen the most extensive farmland, and that's pretty pretty knowledgeable or pretty common that we know of, uh, to around $6,400 an acre. So just increase in farmland values. Yeah, makes sense. If you're an investor in farm ground, you're not looking probably for a one to two year turnaround in profitability. Usually you're buying it, you know, for your lifetime. It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not wise to consider, you know, I think short term risks in a long term investment strategy and farm ground, as they say, they're not making any more of it. That's true. Delaney, do you have any other news for us before we get into the markets and so forth? I do. I want to I want to give a quick update here on NAFTA negotiations because Mexico's economy minister was in the U.S. this week and said today that, quote, there were very good probabilities that Mexico and the United States would resolve key issues um, as light as early as next week. So Mexico and U.S. are going to continue working on negotiations over the weekend and the ministers are going to return to the table, so to speak, later next week. And I believe they're meeting again in Washington, D.C., but they really do think that they're going to have something 
worked out by the end of next week. Wow. Well, yeah. that would be good news, I think. And then since it then is just, NAFTA, yeah. we need Congress to sign off on it, right? Well, and we still need to get Canada to come to the table. They haven't been involved in trade talks since, um, I think, late June, early July. Oh, really? okay. So they need to come back to the table um, unless they decide. I don't I don't really know how it works if, if Mexico and the U.S. can just say, okay, we're just not doing NAFTA and we're just going to copy this and, and make it into a bilateral trade agreement. I don't know exactly how that works, but they think that they're going to have their part of the agreement worked out here shortly. Okay. Well, at least it's a step in the right direction. Hannah, do you have any other news for us on this uh, Friday? You know, I don't, Mike. So if you don't have any more news, you can get us right into the markets. Let's do it, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can give them a shout anytime. Get expert advice on the markets and manage your marketing risk with greater tools by calling 312-277-0050 or visit their website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R dot com. And tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got mixed trade today in the grain markets. In corn, the September contract up three and a quarter cents at 370 even. December also up three and a quarter to close at 384 and a half. In soybeans, the August contract up three and three quarter cents. Finished the day at 886 and a quarter. The, the November contract up six cents to finish at 903 and a half. Back above that $9 mark. In Chicago wheat, a little bit of a pullback today after the incredible craziness that happened yesterday. The September contract down two and a quarter cents at five fifty eight and a quarter. December down a penny at five eighty one and three quarters. Looking over on the livestock side, in pretty good strength in the live cattle complex. The August contract was up two dollars seven and a half cents at one ten sixty seven fifty. The October up two dollars and a nickel, closed at one twelve even. In feeder cattle, the August contract up a dollar sixty five at one fifty two eighty five. September up a dollar sixty seven fifty at one fifty three oh two and a half. And mixed trade in lean hogs, the August contract down forty seven and a half cents at fifty eight fifty, with October up a dollar twelve and a half to close at fifty seventy seven and a half. And of course, we can't go into the weekend without looking at dairy prices. In class three milk, the August contract up seven cents at fourteen eighty eight, with the September up six cents to close at 15.67. Now for our Friday conversation, we're going to talk about Durham wheat and the trade situation impacting that market. But before we do that, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Join now by agronomy specialist Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. Phil, you get out in the fields a lot working with producers. What have you been seeing this year as far as the corn crop goes? Yeah, so it seems like we've been seeing a lot of nitrogen deficiencies showing up. You know, typically later in the season, you see that nitrogen firing coming up from the bottom of the plant, and, and it's kind of showing up a little bit early this year, uh, that yellowing and an inverted V-shape coming up, and, and I've seen some up to the ear leaf, which isn't a good thing, but, uh, you know, we've had a lot of heavy rains and, and flooding and ponding early on, and, uh, and, and even some poor planting conditions that probably contributed uh, to what we're seeing right now, but... Uh, just unfortunate that we're seeing quite this early in, in the corn crop. Phil, if folks are experiencing nitrogen deficiency, what can they be doing in their fields? So unfortunately, you know, when when it's wagging, the, you know, kind of wagging the white flag, it's it's a little too late. Uh, you know, if it's showing right now, it's probably causing damage. But um, you know, there are things you can look for. You know, you're probably going to end up seeing some some tip back, uh, maybe a little more than normal on the ears. 
and maybe in some poor kernel set to have it, you know, around this pollination time period. And the other thing I'd warn guys against is pay attention at the end of the season for, for weaker stocks, you know, because that, that corn plant is going to try its hardest to, to fill that that ear with nitrogen and protein, and, and it will cannibalize the stock if it needs to. So just something to watch out for when they get closer to harvest. Absolutely, and you can always reach out to any one of the specialists or agronomists there at Latham High Tech Seeds by calling 1-800-GO-LATHAM. We are talking today with Mark Martinson, who is from Rolette, North Dakota. He's a farmer, a producer. He also is a U.S. Durham Growers guy. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yes, my pleasure. Mark, let's talk a little bit about your background. Tell us about your operation there in North Dakota. What do you guys grow? What do you guys do? Well, uh, we do a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, we can be pretty diverse with our crops. You know, we have a you know fairly short growing season, but uh, uh, so on any given year, um, I'll grow ten to eleven different crops. Um, this year I've only, I think I only put in seven, um, you know, so we go from, uh, hard red spring wheat, Durham, that's the two wheats, uh, some guys grow a little winter wheat up here, um, malt barley, uh, oats, and then oats cover crop, I, I have a cow herd also and feed cattle, so, uh, we grow some hay, alfalfa, um, uh, and then you've got canola is a pretty pretty big mainstay up here. Soybeans have really uh, caught on because it's a it's a nice rotational you know fair amount of corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be a lot of sunflowers, both confection and oil. Uh, there's a few in the neighborhood now, but uh, they, we all kind of went away from them because of the amount of blackbirds and the damage they do in the fall. Huh. And then of course we grow some flax and. Uh, I'm probably forgetting one or two. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mark, I want to jump in. We don't get a chance to talk Durham all that often. Of course, it isn't a futures traded contract, so we don't get into it. Could you give us what Durham is, what it's used for? Okay, so if I was standing in the Durham Growers booth and you came by, and if you uh, and if I asked you uh, what we make out of Durham, and you answered it. The great question, you'd have gotten a pasta spoon. <laughs> so basically, the, we grow Durham for semolina, you know, when you mill it. And uh, and true pasta, the high-quality pasta, is only made of Durham. And, huh. uh, you know, I know I know there's a lot of spring wheat that's substituted and different things, you know, for uh, different applications. But if you're an Italian and you're hardcore on your pasta, you are only going to eat Durham pasta. Hmm. Huh. That's interesting. And, Mark, where is the market going for Durham? Like, who are you selling this product to? Well, it's uh, this Durham deal is getting really tough. Um, so, growing up as a boy, um, you know, we, my farm's on fairly sandy land, and, and it just seemed like back in the day, um, Durham was a little more drought tolerant than, than some of the spring wheat varieties. Um, that's not the case anymore. Spring wheat breeding has, has really gone to, to big levels. But uh, so, um, but anyway, all the pasta plants, there was one in Candu, one in Devil's Lake, 
Dakota Growers was, was built in Carrington. Uh, this was called the Golden Triangle. And uh, because of the change in the weather in 1993 coming around, and we, you know, we've been in a 20-plus year wet cycle, you know, stuff changes. And uh, Durham is, is slowly moving west, uh, actually probably not so slowly anymore. Um, so 68% of the Durham in the United States uh, roughly, and it was probably, it was a higher percent than that, was grown in North Dakota. Um, and I, I don't know if we held that this year. Uh, I don't know the, I just know the Durham crop is as small as it's been in many years. And and the reason being is, uh, like this past year now, uh, Canadian Durham has just, uh, you know, they, they ended up with a just a beautiful crop, Uh it looked like it was kind of going by the wayside with the drought, same drought we were having. And then the weather cooled off and they caught a couple of rains and uh, they ended up with this uh, just just beautiful Durham crop. And so our, uh, you know, our markets are being flooded with Canadian Durham. So that leads us into a whole topic of stuff. It does. And that's kind of the topic that I would like to talk about next is the Durham market is international. I mean, you guys, just like all ag commodities, this is a globally globally traded, globally used commodity. What have you seen change here over the past year as trade disputes have popped up, as we've you know had discussions with Canada and NAFTA and all of this? Where does the Durham Growers Association sit on this kind of stuff? Well, I tell you, we we're a, we're a small, low budget, uh, very proactive, and I'm not I'm not going to give myself any credit. Uh, you know, there was some pretty pretty big stuff that the U.S. Durham growers did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, it's always been a very active group. Uh, now, you know, issues as as I've been sitting president, and I've been on the board I think nine years now, so I'm getting close to terming out. Um, you know, I've been working with RMA issues, and uh, basically, I, the last year or two, just about all the calls I make uh, to different either, uh, you know, congressional people or trade representatives or, or whatever, uh, it's all over trade. And uh, and the other one is the grading of Durham. There's about, to get choice filling dirt, you have to uh, jump through about 10 hoops. It's a... Uh, it's a it's a true specialty crop and it's a tough one to market, but so so what happened is is now with with this wetter weather, um, you know we've had a lot of vomitoxin, uh, mm. um, what's the falsarium head blight, and uh, you know so we we all spray fungicides and stuff and uh, you know we we have to dump a lot of money on this crop, but it, it, it just is very susceptible, kind of like malt barley is uh, as far as timing and then. You know, you get days after days of wet weather, and uh, we're on on hard red spring wheat. Um, they've they've been able to get some of the genes to attach uh, to fight uh, head scabs so much better. And uh, so basically, that's that's our issue. And so last year, um, you know, with the drought, the, the quality of the Durham crop was really good. Uh, but it was also really good in, in Canada, you know, and I'm not going to bash my Canadian friends. I do a lot of business up there. Matter of fact, uh, this afternoon I'll have three or four Canadian trucks pull in and load corn. Um, now we need to talk about NAFTA, but we won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so 
if I was a, a Canadian farmer and I grew Durham, I'd be selling every kernel of Durham down into North Dakota that I could. It's it's just good business. You got the you got the dollar play, and then that's where the market is, and uh, and they can come across the border pretty freely. Um, you know, NAFTA is free trade. It's not fair, but it's free. But for us to go the other way with Durham, there's a tariff in place, and generally any wheat product is marked as feed, even though huh. it's just as good as as what's coming across. Huh. And, oh, oh, I just have a quick follow-up to that. Mark, when you're thinking of Canadian markets, are there many millers up in Canada that would be able to provide a, a decent bid for Durham wheat? Um, so one of our board members this year, no, there really isn't. Uh, okay. uh, not Not to the extent. Okay, so we have... Uh, just in North Dakota now, you have Minot Milling, which, you know, Minot sits 80 miles off the border probably. And I can tell you, okay, so I've I've flown different places to try and knock on doors. I'm trying to do the best job I can for the constituents that I represent. Plus, I'm representing my own interests too, I mean, because I grow Durham every year. Um, but when I go to Minot to fly out, and a lot of times I fly out really early in the morning and I get in, you know, the last flight in so 11 12 o'clock at night and all winter long the the mill plant was just was full of canadian trucks uh you'd maybe see one one u.s truck sitting there and 15 and you know the lot they'd be double aligned um and, and and there's no secret that that's what happened to the market this year you know another big market for us has been italy over the years and and I go to the National Pasta Association. I actually still sit on the board there with them. And uh, and so you have a lot of Italians there. And uh, you know this this last year, uh, you know, and of course all the all the American Miller guys, they know my name, they know my face, they know who I am, and they know the question I'm going to ask them. You know, why aren't you buying our Durham? Yeah. So they all treated me like I had the plague. But mm-hmm. the, uh, the the a lot of the uh, Miller, the people that sell the equipment. The Italian companies, you know, they all come and talk to me and they say, boy, it's getting harder to sell our machinery because we, we're, we're milling Durham from all these other countries and the quality is just so erratic. And our job is really easy when we know we get to set a machine up on North Dakota Durham. And, and, and they say that even over desert Durham, you know, which is a good quality Durham, uh, but it's still not like northern tier Durham. Huh. Okay, so Mark, you opened there, the door there. We're, we're opening the door, I guess, to the NAFTA conversation. From a policy standpoint, what are Durham growers in the U.S. hoping to accomplish with NAFTA? Do you want do you want free trade with Canada? I want fair trade. Um, when and, and and we all do. Um, and I was just uh, interviewed last week one day. And, you know, and that was one of the things that they did get right that they published was, you know, I said, I don't I don't want a government check. I want fair trade. And no farmers really want government checks. It's, it's, uh, but there's a set of rules we got to play by, and, you know, so we'll end up getting a check eventually or whatever. But NAFTA, when NAFTA was, was being debated back, uh, I'm going to just say, and I may not be right on the date, but let's just say it was the late 90s, 1998, 96, somewhere in there. Everybody was against it. I mean, everybody up here was against it. And, uh, I mean, there was a reason because there was, there was terms in there that wasn't fair to us. And so 
I understand the big picture. I understand how important uh, the corn going to Mexico is. I see the numbers. I can read the, the charts, um, you know, automobile stuff. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, in the big picture, there's things that are good about it. But if I look at it as purely a constituent for my constituents, a Gderm farmer in North Dakota, NAFTA has been a bad deal for us because there's a 40 – you guys can look it up. Uh, it's 48 or 49 percent tariff yet in NAFTA just on Durham, Durham wheat, mm. but not coming this way. They can they can dump all the Durham they want down here, and if we go that way, there's a tariff in place under NAFTA under free trade. But worse than that is they mark everything feed first. Then you then once it's called a feed wheat. Then it goes into uh, feed rules and regulations, and you got phytosanitary uh, issues, and I mean it's just a it's just a quagmire. And uh, so there's nothing free to us. And now let me expand it a little more. So I've got trucks coming here picking up corn out of my yard. Well, my my best market for my corn has always been going to Canada, simply because of freight. You know these guys. They can they can jump in their semi, come down, get the bill of ladings and, and uh, whatever they need at the border, and pick up a load of corn here and be back into the yard in a few few hours, versus you know, tra- trying to buy it out of Iowa or, or you know Minnesota or somewhere else. So I mean, um, you know that part of of my life wouldn't change even if NAFTA gets you know, really messed up. But, you know, there's the whole dairy thing. Another one that we grow here is uh, if you looked on Twitter last night, I took pictures where combining, you know, hopefully it's malt barley there. Again, you got 10 hoops you got to jump through to make grade. Um, but there's this tariff to haul barley into Canada. and uh, But they can they can bring barley across here. I don't think much comes across anymore because of the, uh, I think the Chinese are buying every feed stuff they can get their hands on. You know, in every country, but but here and mm-hmm. uh, um, but yeah, there's been a lot of barley over the years flow down here too into our markets and, and really stifle them. But um, I was last last fall with with the drought and and the amount of Durham that was in the drought area, and this is talking to guys that are in the Durham market all the time. I mean, these these are big company guys, you know, uh, some of the big multinationals and. And it's guys I've gotten to know over the years, and, uh, you know, they're just like, yeah, I just, you know, we're probably going to see a $10 bid on, on Durham because it's, it is so short. Oh, wow. And poof, it, it hit it hit 8 bucks or seven ninety five on July 25th, roughly. That's just going to give you a number. Uh, but it was right in that area. It was right around the wheat quality turn time. And... Uh, you know, but then, like I say, up in Canada, the, the big drought up there, the, you know, the temperature cooled off, they caught a rain, the door finished out, and they had, I mean, talking to some of my friends up there, they've never combined Durham so perfect, and it's all just been making its way down here. So, here now, so Mark, that kind of leads me to my, my next question. From a policy perspective at uh, USDGA, do you envision fair trade as being perhaps an equal tariff on Canadian Durham coming into the U.S.? Because it doesn't sound like there's much value in lowering the Canadian tariff if there's no market up there to speak of anyway. 
Yeah, no, I, uh, if, yeah, under fair trade, um, you know, a Canadian farmer is still going to be looking to market grain in the U.S. just because of the currency play, right? Yeah. So we're at, what, 75 cents in the dollar today. So, um, but, but we would like to have it so we can go the other way. Okay. So here's a, here's a scenario. So, okay. A lot of this, during, I don't know what we got right now. You know, you know, we sprayed the fungicide. We spent all the money. It, you know, it's just, it's just how God plays the whole thing out now. We don't know if we're going to have vomitoxin in our derm again. We don't know if we're going to get rain while we're harvesting, lose our color, then all of a sudden our, our HVAC numbers go down and all that. Um, but there is a tremendous feed market in Canada that, I mean, their ethanol plants are, are set up to grow uh, small grains and stuff like that. But right now, we can't even take feed quality derm up there because once it gets marked feed, then they start in with this phytosanitary uh, GMO. Uh, I don't know if it's for Japan or, or, or what country. Um, it, it, it's just about impossible to still bring it up there, even though they're going to market feed. Um, but at least there would be a possibility for like this, you know, number threes and fours Durham, uh, I'm guessing there'd be a better market going into Canada with it. You know, uh, they feed a lot of uh, cattle up there. And um, so, you know, under fair trade, we need to get rid of the. You know, if we don't have a tariff here, we shouldn't have a tariff there. That's fair trade, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I guess that's, um, yeah, I would love to say let's put a tariff on, um, but but what they tell you is, oh, going through the channel, uh, let's just say, okay, here, here's a, uh, I was making phone calls this winter to U.S. wheat and U.S. trade, and they're like, well, there's a residual amount of, of Durham that comes through from Canada to here, and then it ends up uh, going to other countries, and it's, it's a static number, so, you know, it it's all even. Well, no, it's not all even, but that's what they try and tell you. And, uh, but in the meantime, our markets have done nothing but go down all winter. So there's no, uh, that isn't a static number and no, it isn't fair. Um, you know, so do we need it to have a tariff on our end? Yeah, but but no. Um, I guess my stance is, um, you know, I want it fair. I want it fair going both ways and let the marketplace sort it out. Um, you know, maybe that won't help me. Maybe that won't help my constituents, but at least we know we're being treated fair because right now we know we're not. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a fact. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Mark Martinson, we sure do appreciate you taking the time and talking to us today about the Durham industry and getting your perspective on international trade. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you. And uh, if I can be of any help later on, you know, give me a holler. All right. Well, that was a great discussion we had there with Mark Martinson, who is, I believe, the current sitting president for the U.S. 
Durham Growers Association, just really insightful what he had to share with us. He uh, texted me after our conversation was over and said he didn't know if he mentioned it for sure in the interview there, but uh, for the for the Durham for Durham, the U.S. market would be thriving and the Canadian market would be dead. He said if the tariffs were the same both ways. Hmm. You know, and it's interesting. It was really good for me to hear from Mark because I'm, as I've mentioned on the podcast, quite a bit a free trader and, you know, abolish all tariffs and so forth. But this was a really good example to me of an industry that is directly impacted yeah. by uh, unfair trade with Canada. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Mike, because I also am usually one for free trade and whatnot. But I last week in my panel discussion with the uh, Colombian exporters and other folks from the industry. We had John Bays on the panel who has been worked in U.S. trade representative offices before and done a lot of stuff with trade internationally. He said, you know, when these tariffs went in or when when we started free trade agreements back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, the reason we did that was to ensure other countries could trade with the U.S. We basically did it so that developing countries had a way to get goods and services and products to help raise their GDP and raise their, you know, economic value levels. But now most of these countries that we're trading with for free tariffs aren't, you know, considered developing countries anymore. So I don't know. Right. Canada's pretty well developed. China's pretty yeah. well developed. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, that is a different way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. Well, we cover all sorts of interesting stuff. So Hannah, if listeners want to hear past conversations about ag-related topics, where should they go for that information? Of course, Mike. Folks, you can first head to our website at www.agnewsdaily.com. That's where you will find all of our old podcasts, and you can get up to date, up to speed with what we've had in the past. Or if you want something a little bit more direct, you can find us at social on social media at Facebook or Twitter and just search Ag News Daily. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.